Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cubs Corner. My name is Anthony Pasquale, and as always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill, located at 6169 North Northwest Highway on the northwest side of Chicago. Obviously closed right now due to the coronavirus implications, but still open for delivery and pickup. So make sure to check out Coach's. Today on the podcast, we welcome a very special guest, current blogger, former Illini, and longtime Cubs fan, Barstool Carl. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, glad to be here. One quick correction, once an Illini, always an Illini. There's no such thing as a former Illini unless you transfer or you get kicked out of school. Gotcha. All right, and so no transferring or getting kicked out of school for you, so always an Illini. Yeah, amen. So how have you been uh, holding up during quarantine? We're uh, we're doing well. I appreciate you for leading off with a personal question like that, Anthony. A lot of people just want to get into the business side of things. Uh, we're doing okay. I think we're doing the best we can as far as quarantines are concerned. Do you consume Barstool regularly? I personally do, yeah. How do you think we're doing? Like, your opinion's way more important than mine. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. I've been um, very entertained with the content. I like the uh, Joy Molinero hire. I uh, was very, uh, um, I was a fan of his before you guys grabbed him, and, and ever since he's been on Barstool, I've been seeing him a lot more, which is funny, too. Yeah, he's super creative, and the good thing about having a guy like Joy around is like, I think working at Barstool isn't any different than like being on a team and that when you bring in somebody new, <clears throat> in Joey's case, he's bright and he's funny and he does good videos. So it's like now it makes other content people look at it and be like, oh, you know, what do we like about this? And it's it's no different than having a great player come in and you're like, you know, it makes you want to play a little bit differently or better, think about your game and stuff. So he's a great addition. But uh, quarantine-wise – you know, Barstool, so much of it's driven by the fan experience or the gambler's experience. It's very, it's very stooly perspective driven. And so taking the live sports out of it um, has certainly been a challenge. But I think, I think Barstool, like we're very uniquely positioned that we can take advantage of this. So like it is a challenge for us, but it's a way bigger challenge for a lot of our competitors out there. And so it gets us to flex our creative muscles and stuff. So this is a long answer to a short opening question. But like, you know, what a time, like what a time to be creating content, the sports media world with everything shut down. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. And you kind of bring me to the next question I was going to ask you is how did you originally get involved with Barstool? You know, this is such a, it's such a like wild story that takes place over like, maybe 10 years and involves so many people and characters and hearing the word no and trying and putting it on the back burner and doing a podcast and stuff. So, um, you know, the long end of it or the short end of it, I should say is I, I got introduced to a guy named Dante when I just moved to Chicago. This is 2010 and I was interested in Barstool. I'd been reading it fanatically through college uh, was probably the only stoolie I knew in my group of friends. You didn't know anybody in Chicago that knew Barstool. And I got hooked on it in college. And I met this guy who worked for Barstool randomly. And it just started. There was like that one starting conversation. And uh, he's Dante now. He's Now he writes blogs for us. And he did the Blackout Tour. He's a very well-known entrepreneur and DJ and restaurant owner and all this stuff. And so he had, he had been really involved with Barstool um, in the beginning. And I got introduced to him. And to be honest with you, Anthony, it's like, you start there 10 years ago and I was like, Hey, I want to work for Barcelona. What's it take? And so I was like, we'll start a blog, start a blog, send the blog in. 
And oof, I mean, I don't even know who's still listening right now, but like <laughs> it just goes back and then blogging. And then there's this period probably from, so I'm maybe 23 years old. I'm living in Chicago. I'm going to law school. I want to write for Barstool. I want to make some money on the side. And I started sending a blog in and I was using Dante as a reference point to El Prez and I was getting introduced and we were sending emails back and forth. And, and it, and it, and that was my first introduction to El Prez. He was like, Hey, I like your writing style, but it's long. You're not very good. So I probably traded emails with El Prez for maybe a year, you know, once a month or something. And then big cat got the job and, and, you know, I just like dropped it. I was like, okay, well, he said no to me so many times. Big Cat has a job now. And then Big Cat actually reached out to me and was like, hey, can you start helping me out? So, I mean, think about how weird this is, right? right. So this, it's just a, it's, it's, it's such a difficult story to explain in context because I think Eddie and I are going to sit down on a dog walk in the next couple of weeks and, and do like a deep dive on like how we got to where we are. But there's no like funny stories from it. There's no like, quick-witted you know i did this and then i got this opportunity i probably had to take five thousand swings to get the full-time job Mm -hmm. so like even in 2013 my first blog was about with the cubs that just drafted chris bryant do you remember this i i do a little bit but um that was kind of in the dark ages of being a cubs fan so it was more trying to forget everything (laughs) I mean, we're talking eight seasons ago, seven seasons ago, and uh, and I wrote a free blog. And Big Cat was like, you know, do you you know, you know a lot about baseball. I've been following your blog. I was following Big Cat's blog. And this is, dude, this is back like the internet's changed so much in that. Like, do you have a blog, Anthony? Um, no, but I I write for the Champagne Rooms blog, um, SB Nation's blog, the Champagne Room at school, and then I write a little bit on the side with Cubs HQ. So like. SB Nation now kind of like changed that where it used to just be like I had my blog. It was called Sturkwood. Okay. Big Cat had his blog and it was called The Hot Club. And like different people just had like their own little blogs. And there was just a way bigger community. And like saying the word blogger meant something because it was like an active thing where you were trying to create like your own blog website identity. And it's very much gotten away from that now where if someone wants to get into writing and they want to get into online sports media, they'll go to an SB Nation or they'll want to get into an affiliated site because in your mind, you want to build credibility. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. Now, back in my day, I shouldn't say back in my day because I'm only 33, but like when Barstool was developing online 10 years ago, like it was more important to have a character than it was to have credibility. Okay. So when you own and develop your own blog and it's your blog and you're sharing it on Facebook and you're putting your name out there and you're telling your friends, hey, come check out my blog, trying to build your own, you're trying to build your own name, you have a much more personal connection with the content. You're able to build a character. And so I think that was something that was unique to the timing. I was coming up and learning how to write and create an online persona. That it was just my blog. And so when I didn't get the Barstool job, I was a consultant. I was studying for my CPA exams. I was still like a regular Joe. I take the blog, I'd shut it down. And Big Cat reaches out to me. He's like, yo, I love your blog. You know, he like the, it was the characterization. It wasn't about the credibility. Like, hey, you know, I'm a big deal. I blog for XYZ. It was just like I had been able to cultivate and create this like online character that Big Cat had recognized. It was like, hey, that's pretty unique. 
can you help me out write a couple blogs about the Cubs, see if it fits with you. And so then it just kind of naturally fit into my, my career. But that's fucking seven years ago, Anthony. <laughs> like, you know, there's so much that happens. The cat becomes a superstar. He moves to New York. You know, the Cubs win a World Series. I start a podcast with White Sox Dave. But all that was ultimately leading to where I'm at now, that's, there's no doubt about that, it was like if we could ever get to the point where there was a bar soul Chicago and it was like the four of us that worked under big cat and we could do our own thing together. And big cat got so big. Oh my God, what a dream that would be become. And it's crazy. We're living it. It's mm-hmm. a very long answer, but it's, it's, it's so hard. I don't want to give you the short cheap where it's like, yeah, I just worked hard or I got lucky. I sent you <laughs> like, cause I get emails where people are just like, Hey, are you guys hiring? Hey, do you have an internship? Hey, here's my resume. And it's like, no, because I don't know who you are. Right. But if someone has this like online character and persona and it's easier to get identified and like, hey, this is what I do, um, you know, you're much more inclined for my position to take an interest in someone who's like trying to become somebody than someone who is trying to get recognized for their work, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it totally does. And across your time at, at Barstool, what would you say has been the best part? What do you want me to say? Anything. Whatever what first should, pops into you, the head. But like what do you I'm interested in your perspective. Like what you know, it's like a young stoolie, like what do you think? Cause okay, so think about this. I spent all my twenties working a full time job and then blogging at night and people be like, What do you mean your name's Carl? I thought your name's Mike. And you're like, Yeah, 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 it's just like a blogging handle and like not getting paid. And then getting to this point where it's like, we should start this podcast. And then Barcelona gets acquired. There's so many points along the way where you're like, that was the best. But I think today is. I don't know. Today was the best. Like, I did a serious XM radio show. I have crazy stories, though, like meeting players from the Cubs and stuff and, like, building relationships with guys. But I don't know if that stuff's the best. That's, like, becomes part of the job. I think when mm-hmm. it happens the first time around, you're like, oh, this is the best. But then you realize, like, no it's my job to deliver content under these circumstances, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I don't know if those are the best. That's why I'm asking you, like from your perspective as like a young stoolie, like what would be the best from your perspective? I think just based off your last answer and then to, to this question now, I think the best would be getting, building that persona and finally getting that persona online recognized. Yeah. Yeah. The satisfaction there's like a, an overwhelming inherent like you did it because there is definitely this like tipping point where like okay you have the you have the critical mass to now be freely creative like when i started with Barcelona, it was like all right nervous hit a home run do a good job on this blog don't fuck anything up mm-hmm. like create this image be create good content but then over time you just want to like you, you don't want to think too much. You just want to react and stuff. And so, yeah, getting to that point where you're like, oh, I can do this. Like, this is this is my job. This is my career. This is It's just, like, who I am. You don't really think about it. And I have the experiences of going to, like, a job where, like, I sucked at it and I don't know what I'm doing. Or you're trying to be somebody you're not. Or you, you know, want to have more success than you have up front. And so that's a great insight on your part. Yeah, the, the getting to that point. But, you know, the other thing, though, is, like, the overwhelming, like, control, you know? So, like, I could stay up till 3 o'clock tonight and do all my work for tomorrow. 
and then get up tomorrow at like 11 and like do nothing until it's time to get on radio. Mm-hmm. So that's like a, but that's like a privilege. So, oh man, I'm rambling. There's like, you, you're asking me stuff where it's like, God, this is, cause you like end up writing a book someday about <laughs> because I've been so lucky, but yeah. Now we'll shift gears a little bit into some Cubs stuff. This is the Cubs corner podcast. Um, so I just want to talk about, you know, a lot of people have these stories from when they first remember being Cubs fans or when they started being being Cubs fans growing up. What's your uh, Cubs fandom story? It's just being a kid and watching watching the Cubs on WGN in the summertime. I'm the youngest of three three boys. The oldest boy, um, Brian, got diagnosed with juvenile diabetes in May of 1993. I was six. Ron Santos charity got super involved. Like he got super involved with Ron's charity. My parents did. And next thing you know, we're going to Cubs games and I'm like in the radio booth with Ron Santo and I'm like seven years old and he's calling a game against the Cardinals. And I was like, Holy smokes. And growing up on the South side, like I went to a ton of Sox games. My my dad had season tickets. We went all the time. And like, I was a huge Sox fan. And then I was like nine, 10 years old. And like the crosshairs, like, okay, so I got to pick a team. And I remember talking to my dad, like, I think I'm going to be a Cubs fan. Like, I, I like watching them more. Mm-hmm. But that's because they were on all the time during the day. And I could just lay in the basement and watch them on WGM where the White Sox would play at night. And so because the Cubs played so much during the day and you're a little kid, I would just, like, lay around and watch the Cubs. I had the connection through my brother. And so it's just, like, I think, I think any, like, fan, at least my age or close to my age, has those memories of just WGN is, like, you know, just shitty day baseball, like watching the Cubs lose nine to two against the Pirates, but you watched all my innings, <laughs> like, you know, cause you had nothing else to do. Like we, I don't know. What about you? What do you, you, you got a, like, who's you, you got like a Carlos Zambrano memory or something from like when you were 10? Um, so my, well, my first favorite player was Sammy Sosa, but I was two and three at the time really. So I didn't really remember that too much, but I'd say my, my player memory would be uh, Alfonso Soriano giving me like a little point on his way out to left field. My dad and I was uh, were shouting his name every inning, and my dad Alfonso every single inning. And then by the seventh inning, he probably just got annoyed, and he was just like, and he did the little head thing that he always did. And then I took that home and and remembered that always. And that was I was probably like six or seven at that time. Was and, he your favorite player from there on out? Yeah, he he always was. And, you know, and like, so baseball has. Thank you for sharing that with me because that's a very cool baseball thing. Mm-hmm. When you have your dad there, and you got a player that you follow, right? Like that just means a lot to you. Um, <clears throat> one time, it was like 1996. I think the Cubs were en route to losing like 96 games or 97 <laughs> games or something. And uh, they were playing the San Francisco Giants, and it was an August game. And I sat in my basement. I was cheering for Scott Service, who was the catcher at the time. Jim Riggleman was the manager. I was just like crying. I was like, come on, Scott, tie the game up. And as I'm saying this out loud, he hit a, he hit a game-tying home run. Scott Service might have hit six home runs that year. Scott Service is arguably a horrendous offensive catcher. <laughs> but for whatever reason, he hit that home run. And I just love Scott Service from there on out. I was just like the biggest Scott Service guy. Like, oh my God, Scott Service has to be in the lineup today. And uh, so it wasn't like a personal thing like you where you have your dad and you have that moment with the player. But it's definitely on the same par where like you're just a little kid and something happens and 
the general significance of it is very low, you mm-hmm. know, but to you, it's a high impact thing and it like reroutes your, the way you fucking enjoy things for like years, yeah. you know, like you, you love Alfonso Soriano, you know, I love Scott service. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if, if I were to somehow get Alfonso Soriano on this podcast and ask him about that, no chance he remembers it, but it's something that meant so much to me. Yes. And that that's like a, another very powerful like anecdote about sports that like here's a left fielder from the Cubs who's getting what 136 million dollars over seven years blah blah all this stuff and yet he can still like in how many kids out there have like a little story about just right. the one Alfonso Soriano or have the Jason Hayward or whatever you know mm-hmm. um that's but that's a thing like okay so <clears throat> on that same note like that's the beauty of or how lucky am I through Barcelona? Like I get to be that 10 year old kid in my basement every day. Like I still get to look at the TV and be like, come on, Willie, come on. And, but that's all I like, that's it. (laughs) And I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, like people who look at Barcelona are like, Oh, that's, you know, juvenile or whatever. It's like, listen, the best time I ever had was when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, watching the Cubs in my basement, like being a kid. Yeah. And so being able to channel that and just like, yeah, we're just, it's the same, it's like that same joy. I don't mm-hmm. know, it's hard to explain. Yeah, but that's a, it's a good way to, to relate it. You just, you know, I think the, the big quote from, from Moneyball, I think it was, is everybody gets told they can't play the children's game anymore, but nobody gets told they can't love the children's game anymore. So if you could keep that, that love for it and keep showing it through your writing or podcasting, whatever it is, power to you right why not yeah that's you know and and i think a lot of that's just like going back to when you're playing like what do you take the joy in you know and so when you ask me about baseball like you know in illinois like i gravitated towards my teammates Mm -hmm. and i I didn't i wouldn't talk about i mean i have some cool playing moments but but to me it was always about like camaraderie the challenge of playing baseball, the strategic side of it, getting hitters out. Yeah. Like that's the big strategy to me is getting hitters out. That's baseball to me more than anything else is, is recording outs. And so the strategic component of it, the camaraderie. And so that's been an amazing thing is like being able to hold on to that. And the other thing is, you know, you think when you're younger, just how different the big leagues are and how big and special it is. And one thing that's been really cool about this experience is I've gone through Barcelona is I realized, I'll tell you right now, the f- game of baseball at the major league level, it's the exact same challenges all the way down to Little League. Like, the winners hit the cutoff men. Like, the best teams hustle. Mm-hmm. The best teams pitch. Like, literally, the concepts are the exact – nothing changes. The NBA, everything changes. The NFL – Everything changes. Yeah. Literally, Major League Baseball, it's just on a bigger field with bigger players that are stronger and faster. And so that's the thing that can connect it across everybody because your experiences when you're eight years old, they mm-hmm. relate. Like you've been people make it, they lost because they made an error and a kid kicked the ball or whatever. Like <laughs> it's not like the NFL where, like, oh, you lost on a 43 yard field goal. Well, like, who in high school is losing on a 43 yard field goal? Like, yeah. what, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's so, so much more. And especially in football, like scheming to it and, and so much more like whereas as baseball, it, a lot of times it just comes down to did you do the little things right? 
Right, because you can't you can't scheme, you can't control, you can't script plays or anything. You just have to let events take their place and hope that your players are prepared. One, but two are mentally in the game. Mm-hmm. You have to have a group of people that are in each pitch. Yeah, that I mean, Starlin Castro's biggest thing was like he would literally take innings off. Like Jason Hayward's a great defender because. He he moves on each pitch. Mm-hmm. If it's oh oh, he's gonna go stand somewhere different than when it's oh one, and then he knows who the hitters are, and he knows what the pitcher's throwing, and like that. There's just such a cat and mouse game, you know. Yeah, that that's that's definitely a good point. And um, now I want to talk a little bit about favorites of all time. Is it Scott Service or is it a different Cub? No, it's it's definitely not Scott Service. Um, you know, I regrettably. This is gonna sound terrible. I I don't have, I don't have a favorite cup. Really? You know, I have. It's like whichever way the wind blows. Mm-hmm. You know, I hold I hold Kerry Wood in high regard. I think Mark Pryor, when Mark Pryor was pitching at his best, I think he was the best pitcher I've ever seen in my life. I think when Carlos Zambrano um, pitches with enthusiasm, there's nothing more exciting. You know, like when Derek Lee was hitting 353 in 2006 and broke his wrist, like that was one of the coolest things I'd ever followed as a baseball player. I loved Mickey Morandini's mullet, 1998. <laughs> uh, Jeff Blauser as a shortstop. That was a really big deal when we traded for Gary Gaetti. Uh, you just go down the I mean, Randall Simon, uh, when we traded for him, and we had the Kenny Lofton and Ramis Ramirez through, through the 2000s into the 2010s. You know, I mean, I could be Mark Grace and say, uh, honestly – Every single person I just named is like impactful. Yeah. So, um, but I will say history will will definitely mark Anthony Rizzo down as my favorite Cub. Okay. And probably my favorite baseball player. Yeah, I was gonna say you went through naming probably ten, maybe even a dozen guys, and you didn't mention one guy from the 2016 team up until Rizzo. What did that World Series win mean to you as a fan? Um, it means more now than it did then and it, it means more over time because it just like settles on you um i mean do you want some quick history i'll take it all right so historically speaking through up to 2016 when the cubs were good they went to the playoffs so if the cubs had a good team like in 2003 they had a good team and they went to the playoffs in 2004 they didn't they fell apart but that wasn't like a very good team and you saw that coming and like people were just like, okay, we're, we're kind of waiting. It, it smells bad. 2005 was a bad team. 2006 was a bad team. Okay. And then you get in these like Lou Pinelli years and you're like, wait a second. Like at the start of the season, you're like, this is a pretty good team. Yeah. First place in the division. They go to the playoffs. They get swept next year. You're like, Hey, this is a, this is a really good team. Mm-hmm. They win the division. They go to the playoffs, they get swept. swept. Yep. So as you like progress through as like a Cubs fan, when the team is good, you don't really get let down. Like in 2015, they surprised us. In 2016, again, we were like, okay, this team's going to be good. And that was really, I want to say, the fourth time we had like went into the start of the season. We're like, oh, this team's going to be really good. Wait and see. And they were really good. So we had never been like disappointed. So when you got to the playoffs, after getting swept back-to-back years with Lou Pinella, in 2015 you made it to the NLCS. You're like, oh, this is easy. 
Mm-hmm. This is easy. We're playing with house money. And then we win the World Series in 2016. In that moment, I was so arrogant. I was like, "We're this is this is it. Like, we yeah. won the World Series this year. Like, we're coming for it next year. We lose in the NLCS. I'm bouncing around. I'm like, we're coming for it. It's, it's, this is ours. And the, the gap closed so quickly on the Cubs. So this is another very long answer to a short question. But I think there's just, like, a lot of context here where it's like, would it be right. at the time? a lot more now than it did then i was an arrogant i was just like oh we're awesome yeah i i almost wish you could you could future see and and that way you could experience it in 2016 and kind of take it for what it's worth because i think like you and especially me as a younger fan who didn't endure a lot of the heartbreak that so much of the older generation or generations did it was kind of like yeah, we were supposed to win all year long. We did, and we'll probably do it again. But it's not that simple. No, it's not. And you see how how things can become stale quickly, and you see the importance of having fresh starting pitching. Yeah, and like they just, you know, I don't. Oh man, don't get me going. <laughs> <laughs> and they made obviously the managerial change from Madden to Ross. Um, mm-hmm. Originally, I wasn't a huge fan of letting go Madden. I was like, how can you let go the guy who brought us the championship? But now that Ross is in, it, it makes a lot of sense. I like the way the team has responded to the change. What 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 are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, the big thing you have to remember is, you know, we're still talking about human beings here. Mm-hmm. Like they're professional athletes and they make a lot of money and they're, you know, super and all this stuff. But we're talking about a group of guys, which is at its core, no different than your group of high school friends, your group of college friends, the social dynamics and all this stuff. And so when you look at Joe Madden and how well he did in those five years, you look at the core group of guys and how they've responded and gelled and grown over five years. I think at the time when they made the decision, It was the easiest thing to know that this group of guys isn't responding to the leadership as much. Mm -hmm. And you hear it in the voices. You can see it in the style of play. You can see it in the results on the field. Theo wasn't getting what he wanted. He's being cryptic about it. So everything just kind of pointed back to Joe. And it's tough because Joe has so much success. Right. And it's it's not, you know, you can't really blame Joe, but it it turned into him – being the right guy at the right time and then that kind of expired correct if if Theo Epstein trades for Jacob DeGrom you know and gets rid of Hap and Schwarber and Elmora and the pitching staff is completely different Joe Madden's probably still the manager right if we don't sign Brandon Morrow and we take that 20 million dollars and we invest it in a deeper bullpen or we develop our own bullpen, <laughs> or we have anything that's a fraction of what the Dodgers have as a bullpen, Joe Madden's probably still the manager, right? Like, right. if Addison Russell pans out, Joe Madden's probably still the manager, and they probably win the division every single year. Mm-hmm. Like, there's all these little ifs and thens and stuff, right? So here's the big switch with David Ross and the beauty of a guy like David Ross. David Ross, when he is a manager that will remove the ifs and the whats, he, like, demands it from the players on a day-to-day basis. Right. Where no man will roll with the punches. Hey, you have bad days, you have good days, whatever. You just got to – David Ross demands from his players, like, 
I don't care if you have a good day or a bad day. You have your fucking day. And this is my expectation for what that day looks like. And it's a complete mind shift, Anthony. I mean, it's the difference where, like, we talked about this before. Like, are you going to be playing pitch to pitch? You know, or, like, you ready to play? Are you not ready to play? And that's ultimately the difference when you play 162 games. Yeah. and So, David Ross, to me, is, I think, quickly, very quickly, people will realize he's one of the best managers in baseball. Very quickly. Yeah. Like, I, the way Mike Tomlin won, you know, 13 games right away, people are like, holy shit. Like, I think David Ross is going to come in and just kill it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think initially heading into the season, a lot of people's thoughts were kind of negative surrounding this team. But once, you know, you heard from Ross a little bit, you heard his plan for the lineup, one through five, my, my thoughts on the season increasingly became optimistic. And I was wondering, are, do you have the same thoughts there? Yeah, I, I'm well, I'm going to ask you about what did you, you like? Do you like the one through five? I love it, and I think we we talked about it a little bit at, at Cam's that night that I first met you with Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, um, Schwarber, and Contreras starting it off. There's not an easy out until maybe six, depending on who's there, and there's a chance you go back to back to back to back to back. How many lineups can do that? Yeah, there's a chance that you just hit five all-stars, too. Right. You know, and there's a good chance that three or four of them could start. Mm-hmm an all-star game and i think at one point all all of them have been an all-star except schwarber right and for schwarber started one of the too. best hitters in major league baseball last year in the second half mm-hmm. so no one wants to talk about that but he was like if his second half was an entire season he hits like 55 home runs yeah he's an mvp a crazy season so the problem that the cubs have though is going to be like their weaknesses are huge weaknesses yeah so like Elder Elmore doesn't suck. He sucks. You know, like, <laughs> second base, like Jason Kipnis, you need a miracle. You know, Horner's is he probably be a little way away. It'll be interesting to see the quarantine, though. I'm a big performance enhancing drug speculator. Like, I think that's still very prevalent in baseball. And, like, I look at a guy like Jason Kipnis and I'm like, all right, well, you're on your last contract. It's incentive laden. Your best days are behind you. The only way for Jason Kipnis's career to continue is if he comes out and plays 120, 30 games, hits 280, hits 20 dingers. So I'm like, maybe Jason Kipnis is a guy who goes to Germany and does blood doping or like whatever the new thing is. Because there's like, dude, there's doing, there's still all that stuff's going on. So like, that's a very amoral, selfish thing to say as a Cubs fan. But like, that would be a dark horse candidate for me. If he takes, like, if he cuts corners. Like a lot of players do. Tons of players do. Tons. Yeah, I think he'd be a, a good option for that. I think. Um... Who else do you think would be a good option <laughs> to do steroids on the Cubs? I, was, I mean, that's not exactly where I was going with it. But um, as you, you said, a dark horse. I think Hap is an interesting name, too, for, for a guy that could break out. Not trying to say Ian Happ's going to be juicing. That's not where I'm going here, but I think no. But who do you who do you think doesn't like Ian Happ? I, I right, mean, so why did Ian Happ? Why was he in spring training last year? Did Joe Madden not like him, or did Theo not like him? I think I, that's a tough question. I don't know. I, it seemed Joe was surprised when he had to give the press conference, so I'd have to say Theo would be the one who didn't like it. But um, 
but it's Theo's draft. Right. right? And, so then yeah. you're like, but this is the guy Theo took. But then a lot of people remember that draft, remember that there really wasn't another pick at seven. Like, yeah. it was Ian Happ. Like, the next guy at eight was, like, a huge drop-off. Yeah, but then... Oh, so it's interesting. The question has to be, like, if that's the treatment Happ's getting, what about Almora, who's been much worse? And that's another thing where that's a Theo draft another pick. Another Theo draft pick, yeah. And a lot of people were like... You know, they kind of reached a little bit yeah. on talent, but they justified it with his makeup. And they were like, this is going to be a complete big leaguer. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he doesn't have power. He doesn't throw as hard. He doesn't you run know, he too doesn't fast. Run fast. <laughs> but, like, he's he'll be a complete player. But, like, really what you see is, like, he's completely bad at all of those things. <laughs> like, he's very, like, you know, he he's average defensively, but he makes mistakes. Or he's above average defensively, but he still makes mistakes. Mm-hmm. He and, still he costs a team games. Yeah, um, and where a lot of guys make up for it with speed or their arm strength, he he doesn't have that. So he, he relies on just his glove out there. Right. So, right. So yeah, you're 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 in a tough spot in center field, and you know who the breakout Ian Happ. Like he could definitely be a breakout candidate. You just have to give him the playing time and let him and let him go. Right. You definitely have to do that. I think. Um, and I mean Hayward in a six hole after the pitchers get through that gauntlet of a one through five might see some better pitching than usual. So maybe he's a guy that can finally start hitting. Who knows? Yeah, he was. And he was still okay last year. Like, if it, his slash line was okay. He had some really bad months, and he had some really good months. And he he was just really streaky last year. And it just sucks. I mean, I could go. I mean, mechanically, he's too big. His swing's too big. He's just not. It's it's. He's 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 a good comparison would be like a basketball player who who scores their points at the rim, and now he's a little bit older. And he just, like, can't get to the rim anymore. Like a Dwight Howard, maybe? Um, think of more like a slasher, like a wing. Okay. With kind of like a busted jump shot. Never took the time to get the jump shot figured out because you could get to the rim. And you, you had all the – like a t- – well, Tayshawn Prince a little bit. But that's that's probably before your time. Um, and the idea there – DeMonte Williams is a perfect example, but maybe not really. But, like, <laughs> you just don't have that, like, complete – game he never had to work on it because he was so athletic he could always hit a 96 mile an hour fastball Mm -hmm. so now as he's gotten older and he's gotten slower he's still very strong he's not any weaker he's still very strong he's just a little slower he's a little less explosive right but now he just can't and and it sucks so yeah jason hayward at six but then you think like who plays second jason kipnis nico horner i don't know not I'd a big body guy. See a healthy Ian Hat play center field every day and hit six than Jason Hayward. Yeah, I would too. And I that also I think depends on you know the righty lefty because if Ross is smart, Hayward wouldn't be playing against a lot of lefties. So maybe that's a spot for Almora or Souza to crack the lineup. And yeah. maybe Souza hits twenty thirty bombs like he did when he was healthy. Who knows? You know, if you can get him the time, it would probably take a Hayward injury for that to happen, though. Yeah, probably. Or Hayward to play, or a Happer Elmore and Hayward play center, and then God help your defense if your outfield is Schwarber, Hayward, and uh, Sweezy. You better hope that the balls are so juiced that no one gets to catch a fly ball because <laughs> it's so bad. And then I guess in that situation, it would open up second for Hap potentially, but I think he's better suited for center anyway. Don't wish that on the pitching staff. The pitching staff pitches the contact too much, and this is where you. This is where losing Addison Russell is going to hurt you more than like people are going to accept because 
if he does pan out, then you have the best defense up the middle with Baez and Addison Russell. Right. And now the problem is John Lester doesn't miss bats. Kyle Hendricks doesn't miss bats. Jose Quintana doesn't miss bats. I don't know who's pitching fifth for this team, but he sure as hell isn't isn't gonna be missing bats. And you know, like you Darvish, that's it. Yeah. Ex- so when exactly. you don't have guys that miss bats, you can't have Ian Happy playing second base. You can't have Jason Hayward in center field. Sweezes so like you 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 are so limited. Yeah, and, and that's a good point to bring back to the, the twenty sixteen team twenty sixteen team to now is not only was, was Lester a guy that was missing bats, but you know, you also had Arietta missing bats and that historically good defense was behind a team that missed bats, and now it's a team that's pitching the contact with considerably um, more, I guess, downgrades defensively. It, it makes sense why they've struggled. Yeah, and the other thing is, you know, a guy like Arietta, you know, when he was hot, you knew you'd never lose more than two, three games in a row. You could never... Yeah, I could have played defense funk, behind it's him. It's like, okay, well, here comes Jake Arietta. Mm-hmm. It's like, ooh, I don't know about this one. Like, we're pretty screwed here, you know. So, yeah. it it's just it's just going to be interesting to see this Major League Baseball make an adjustment to the ball. Yeah, that'll be another interesting thing to see, and especially if it's a shortened season, they're probably going to want ratings and they think home runs equal ratings, so there probably won't be much of a change. But I think I read an article by The Athletic not too long ago that the postseason ball was back to the 2018 ball um, last year, which is why it was more of a pitcher's game in the postseason. So maybe that's something they'll explore too. Yeah, we'll see what, uh, what the commissioner's office do. They certainly have time. <clears throat> yeah. They certainly have time to think about it, and he's got to weigh his options and – the nice thing is they do have the data from the 2019 season, and now they know like what adjustments mm-hmm. look like. You know, let there be no doubt though. I spent a night with Rob Manfred at the Cubs Mets game at City Field last year, and I've gotten a chance to know him. You know, we email each other. I'm not saying we're like best friends, <laughs> but I've had a chance to build a relationship with him through Barstool, and I can tell you unequivocally that he has one goal and it's to grow baseball and make it appealing to fans. Right. So, like, when they juice the ball, you know, it's like, are more people coming in here? Are more people enjoying it? Um, You know, is it uh, for playoffs, you know, to change the ball back to 2018? I think that tells me they wanted a quick, more suspenseful game. They Mm -hmm. don't want nine and three games. Like, maybe they want that in the regular season – but in the playoffs, they want a two-hour and 30-minute game that's 2-1 to one or something. Yeah, and then it really comes down to pitching. So, so. yeah, it, it'll all depend on what they do. But like you said, they do have a lot of time to figure it out. Speaking of a lot of time, um, Marquee Network has a lot of time to fill these days, especially with no baseball. Kind of a tough time for them to start up their network. I'm curious, do you have the Marquee Network? I do. My building has, is fitted for AT&T, so that wasn't a choice. Um, in all other circumstances, I'd have Comcast and I wouldn't have Marquee Network. From what I've watched, it's okay. You know, I'm not, I'm not like hot on it. They they have a couple like reruns. I think it's a difficult situation for the Cubs that they have. Yeah. You know, they've taken this on and it's an ugly situation. How do you feel about it? Um, I, 
am a, a a big fan of just all Cubs all the all the time. I think it's an interesting concept, and I'm a huge fan of it. But you know, at the same time, it it does such a damage to the older generation who grew up falling in love with baseball on WGN, and now that's not really like an option anymore. It's much harder to get it on TV, which is a challenge. But at the end of the day, if it leads to more money that can be used to get better players that can then translate into more championships. I know that's a, a big jump to make, but if that's the case, I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that is a big jump. I think that's, that, <laughs> I think that's it. I think that's a, something that happens because you do a network, your own network, but I don't think that's why they did their own network. Right. You know, and, and I think it's the Ricketts want to control things. They want to own things. They want to own property. They want to have mm-hmm. influence. They want it to be, their assets they want to have their hands on things so it's clear from day one when they bought it it was speculated they're gonna you know try and replicate what the yankees have done yeah and so you know although here's the thing they asked for it they got it right and they're not managing it well and this this is a microcosm of issues the cubs have had both on the baseball operation side and on the business operation side where they just haven't you know ricketts you know, they, the farm system sucks. So like (laughs) the owner has to deal with that. They bombed on the farm system, the business side bombed on those renovations when they opened up on opening night, like the business side bombed on the, um, city relations and the bleacher management and all that stuff. And you're seeing that they're bombing on marquee network and sooner or later, it's like, okay, well, who's responsible? Is Theo responsible for the farm system? Is ownership for not investing in it? Who's responsible for the business side? So right. Marquis, like, it's not an isolated incident under any stretch of the imagination that this is screwed up. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. And, and when you kind of look back at Cubs history, this has been obviously a big topic, um, especially during quarantine. A lot of people are, are just thinking of, you know, best uniforms of all time, best this, best that. I want to know, what does your Cubs Mount Rushmore look like? My Cubs Mount Rushmore. It's a great question, Anthony. Is um is Ron Sano? Is Kerry Wood? It's Anthony Rizzo. You know, I was I just missed Ryan Sandberg. I just missed him. I have like one season of like vague memories of Brian Sandberg and I, and I would say Mark Grace but I can't say Mark Grace so my last pick is going to be Sammy Sosa okay I like that um I like how you interpreted it to be the foremost meaningful to you not the foremost meaningful to the franchise I think that's a, a fun way to do it because you know you can only ask this question so many times where people are going to say Banks, Sano, Samberg, Williams, or Banks, Sano, uh, Fergie, Samberg, or any variation of those guys. Is there any objective answer to that, Anthony? Uh, what do you say? Do you think there's any objective answer to that? I think, I mean, not really. I think there's a lot of um, different ways people can go. I think Banks has to be on everybody's because he's, he's Mr. Cub. Um, but I like the idea of, of naming it with the foremost meaningful to you. And for me, that would be uh, Kerry Wood also. Um, I remember him just growing up, and then I also caddied for him last summer, so that was fun. 
um, Alfonso Soriano, uh, Ridgemore, Caddy of Ridgemore Country Club. Yeah, nice. And then Alfonso Soriano, like I mentioned, he was my guy growing up. And then I'd say I'd put Rizzo on it also, and I think I'd also have to put on Bryant as my final guy. Oh, yeah, and I can I can understand that 100%. He's been – Bryant's been up in the big leagues, what, since you were a freshman, sophomore in high school? Freshman in high school, and I actually uh, won a raffle to throw out the – um, first pitch, and it just happened to be on his debut. So I always had that connection to him. Yeah, they played the San Diego Padres. He struck out four times. <laughs> yep. It was awful. Yeah. Yeah, he sat in section, uh, I think I sat in section 203 with Big Cat, and those were his seats, and Matt Kemp made fun of Big Cat for being fat. It was <laughs> that's, a, that's a historically funny moment in in my tenure with Barstool. <laughs> um, you know, the beauty – a lot of beauties about baseball, but like, so, so you do your Mount Rushmore and your objective. I mean, listen, I would argue Ernie Banks, Mr. Cub doesn't have to be in everybody's top four. I would argue furthermore that there are only a handful of players across the history of professional sports where you could say, yes, this player is in my Mount Rushmore for this team, for every player. Michael Jordan, Babe Ruth, Wayne Gretzky, you know, like Patrick Kane. When you think about like historically, like legendary, like these are people that you'll may never see again. Mm-hmm. And so while I think Ernie Banks is like just a tick, you know, he isn't the Babe Ruth. Right. The Honus Wagner will. But there's only a handful of those guys. Would you put and Trout in that cool category? Thing, like, you know, they suck historically. Right. <laughs> Does uh, Trout track crack that category for you? Yeah, but I think Trout, you know, for sure, for sure, Trout does. You know, keep in mind he also plays for the Los Angeles Angels. So who else have know, they had? Like him, Nolan Ryan. You know, um, I'm trying to think who else would be on that. But for sure, Mike Trout. You know, and I hope you saw the graphic about Frank Thomas and Mike Trout. I did. I did see that. You know, did that make you double take? Did you know Frank Thomas was that good? I I mean, the way we talk about Trout compared to the way people reminisce about Thomas, um, they're not on the same level. But that graphic made them appear that way, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Here's the biggest difference, too. You know, Frank Thomas just didn't strike out. I mean, he just, he'd strike out 50 times in a season. And Trout led the league. So... To see that po- this the powers, size, speed, that's one. Two, Frank Thomas, while the steroid stuff was leaking, was one of the first players to come out and say, please start testing everybody. You know, this is crazy. I played with Sammy Sosa. There's no way that guy can hit 60 home runs. Start t- test me. I'll t- test me whenever you want. Mm-hmm. And so the the fact that he had that allows him to – completely be above all the accusations too, right? So yeah. it's very rare you have a player, especially of his size too. Here's the last thing I'll tell you, Anthony. This is probably the most important thing about when Frank Thomas played compared to now. The strike zone, probably three to four inches on each side. Bigger? Probably. Yes. Yes. Probably three to four. And I would say at least two inches higher. And because the umpires weren't under the technological scrutiny. You go back and look at the umpires in those in the nineties. Are the umpires from the sixties? 
So you have these old dogs out there that are like, strike three, you're out. You know, like, <laughs> so to hit and to dominate in that time that Frank Thomas did in the 90s. Without it, cheating. Yeah, I mean, crazy. And I know this is the Cubs podcast. And I'll say, if Frank Thomas, if that can't fucking, if you can't cross over and appreciate Frank Thomas as a Cubs fan, like, I got a problem with you. That's another, like, <laughs> Cubs fans, I'll just quickly say, like, you know, we do have a reputation for being whiny brats and stuff. And uh, I do everything I can to, like, if you're a Cubs fan, like, just try and like baseball. Like, you don't have to, don't worry about the White Sox. Don't mm-hmm. worry about the Brewers. Just enjoy the game, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get where you're coming from there for sure. And there's obviously, I think, I think we're starting to get to that mutual appreciation for like the talent that both teams have. Like, I engaged in Twitter and a lot of uh, Javi versus Tim Anderson debates over the past year. But the fact of the matter is that Chicago has two of the most talented shortstops in the league, and that's not a bad thing at all. And we should hope that they get to play each other in the World Series. And I I don't cheer, sit and cheer on the White Sox. But if the Cubs are off, I'm watching the White Sox. Right. Watching their pitchers, and I'm watching the hitters, and I'm thinking about them, and I'm, I'm thinking about my White Sox buddy fans, and I'm on Twitter, and I'm, you know, like, it's still baseball. Mm-hmm. They're, I will say this, though. The White Sox have... The White Sox have a lot of... White Sox fans have... They're going to give it to Cubs fans. Like when they're good, right? Like when it's it's gonna be unreal. It's gonna be unrelenting. So Cubs fans, like we almost have this. Just be prepared. Like you have an obligation not to like beat up your your buddies and like <laughs> your big fights and stuff because like the white they're gonna rub it in our face. There's no way, right? So, um, I got two more questions for you before I let you go. The first one is when and if a baseball season does start, where do you see the Cubs finishing in the NL Central? Um, you know, I don't, I don't think we play baseball this year, but I would say the Cubs are going to, it would be, you know, would probably be, you know, they'd be in a battle for first. I would hope, I hope they're, I hope it's September and I hope they're in first place. That would be my expectation. You know, they should win the division. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. Every other team I think took a step back and the Reds didn't make that much of a step forward to, to piggyback the Cubs. So I'm with you there. My expectation, if and when baseball gets played, is that they're a first-place team. The problem is the the Cardinals have a first-place culture right now, and the Cubs don't. Right. And so that's what you're battling against. And uh, Flaherty is, in my opinion, top three pitcher in the National League, and Goldschmidt's a top five player, and you just have to, like, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks how good those guys are. They yeah. play clean baseball. The young plays a clean short. Like he, Carpenter's just a pain in the ass. Like even when he's bad, he's good. So you, you know, that's a challenge for the. You know, it's just a big challenge for David Ross. But you know, I don't think they play this year. To be fair, yeah, and and that's that's obviously a, a possibility and looking more and more true uh, as the days go by. But. I want to end you with this one question, isn't it? And it's, do you have any advice for me or any of our listeners, uh, especially of a younger audience? Yeah, what um, I I have loads of advice about what? Um, well, I'll keep it broad for you. Just life in general. Well, 
It's a good question if you're going to make it that general because I'm thinking, you know, I have had like I'm in this unique position because I have I have I have interactions and relationships with people now that and it's driven from Barstool where people are like, oh, this is awesome. Can we come work for you guys or how did this happen or um, and it's it's awesome right now. Mm hmm. And uh, so I'm 33. I have like a decade of horrible experiences under my belt. Uh, like days I get up and I'm like, why am I going to this job? And I want to do this. And I didn't like get at, like, I didn't follow it right away. Like I've, I've been able to land on my feet and have this job and I'm so lucky. And like, I love Barstool Chicago. And so when I like look back at how I could have done things differently, like I could have been more aggressive and more honest with myself about what I wanted to do. Cause I'd spent so much time dragging my feet and like, do I want a podcast? Should I blog this? Should I do that? Like, yeah, I worked hard and all this stuff, but I wasted a lot of time in corporate America. So I have to remind myself frequently though, that those are the experiences that help me on my job day to day to like deliver good content to people. Because I know a lot of our audience is in the same situation. I was, you're in a cubicle, you're going to work, you're driving to a conference, you're fucking going to class, you're studying for a final, you're trying to waste time and all this stuff. And so my best advice <laughs> To myself, looking back on this and anybody um, in the, to the audience about life, because I'm assuming you, your audience is mostly going to be like listeners and buddies from college and, and, and younger, you know, like a younger demographic or something is like you just the sooner you can identify like what you want to do and who you are, like just go fucking do it and don't, you know, don't listen to anybody tell you something stupid because if I if I did, I wouldn't we wouldn't be having this conversation. So it's just like the sooner you could figure it out, fucking figure it out and embrace the ups and downs because there's like tons of them. Everybody has ups and downs. Like there's this all this barstool stuff's great, but like it took a fuckload to get here. And, and I loved every second. Like I would do it all over again. And so just like embrace like whatever it is that you like want to do, just fucking do it. Like don't do a job because of money. Like, don't go get a fucking degree because, you know, you think your dad would be happy or like you can go get another job like just think like what makes me happy and then go fucking do it or else you're gonna be miserable you will be miserable there's my advice <laughs> don't fucking do what you want to do you'll be unhappy some great words of wisdom from barstool carl that'll <gasps> put a ribbon on this edition of the cubs corner thanks so much for joining us carl <laughs> Anthony, thanks so much for having me on. Have me back on when, like, baseball starts back up or, like, when they announce, like, what's going on or something. Anytime you want to have me on, I'd love to come on and talk Cubs with you. Okay, sounds great. Thanks. As always, this episode, past episodes, and future episodes are available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and the Cubs HQ website. But for now, thank you all for coming to the Cubs Corner.